how beautiful is that and, and, and how glorious is that of our future, that we know that one day we will walk with God again, that we will dwell with him in such a tangible, real way that his presence might be so available to us and so near to us. This is Warrior Podcast, changing the world by introducing warriors to the warrior God. I'm your host, Elizabeth Andrade, here with Connor Shanahan. Connor, I have a very important question to ask you. Oh man, I'm excited for this one. What's your favorite verse? My favorite Bible verse or yes. rap verse? <laughs> I mean, both, I guess. I don't My know. favorite rap verse is something from NF. If you know who NF is, we could be friends. NF just spits fire. My favorite Bible verse, though, it's funny that you ask, Elizabeth, because my favorite Bible verse is the most important verse in all of scripture. That's right. I'm going to declare that right. That's a right. broad declaration. That's a bold statement. Yeah. But allow me to explain myself and it'll lead into exactly where we're going to go today on Warrior Podcast. Because if you're with us last week, we promised you some hope. We've been talking about some heavy stuff. We've been talking about the fall, the disobedience of mankind to introduce sin into the cosmos that's fractured everything. The reason why your life sucks, read Genesis 3. And yet... There's hope in the midst of Genesis 3. So let me read verse 15, which is going to sound like no big deal, but hopefully once we break it down, this will transform your understanding of our God and the scriptures. Here we go. Genesis 3.15. I, this is the Lord speaking as he curses the serpent, which is Satan, which we know from Revelation chapter 20. Yes, Genesis 3.15. This is, again, the Lord cursing the serpent, which is Satan, saying to the serpent, the words of God, here we go. I will put hostility between you and the serpent, which is the Satan, and the woman, which is Eve, between your offspring, that's the devil and his offspring, and her offspring, that's mankind. He, this offspring from the woman, will strike your head, Satan. The offspring from the woman will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. So what looking, a beautiful verse. What a beautiful verse. <laughs> What does this mean? Yeah. Uh, sometimes, Why is this your favorite verse? Sometimes I'll say this to people and they're like, uh, one more time. Oh, <laughs> what, what are we talking about? We're talking about some offspring. We're talking about some generation type. Like, is this why there's so many genealogies? What is, what are we, what are we doing here? So allow me to try to break this down a bit. So what we see here is the gospel. I have a, I have a $5 <laughs> word for you, Connor. Yes, ma'am. Evangelion. Proto-Evangelion. Proto-Evangelion. Sorry. That is, uh, the first, the first gospel proclamation. Okay, so the first gospel proclamation is right here in Genesis 3.15, where God promises one day that an offspring from the woman, an offspring from Eve, one of her descendants, one of her children, will crush the head of Satan. That's big foreshadowing. What does it mean if your head is crushed? Not smacked, mind you. Absolutely crushed. What does that mean? Game over. Game over. Death. It is finished. So the promise of God is that one day a descendant will come from Eve that will destroy Satan and evil forever. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So what we see in this chapter, so let's zoom out a little bit. Um, Where we are right now in Warrior Podcast is going through this series called... um, Story of the Bible. We probably need some help branding if you want to help us out. We're just just literalists, all right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the story of the Bible, so hop on board because it's super significant. What is the story of the Bible? You want to you wanna take a shot, Elizabeth? Why Warrior, Man, why don't you take a shot right? first? Hit pause right now and try to re- rehearse the story of the Bible. That is your exercise. That is your battle drill for the day. Now I'm going to put Elizabeth Andrade on the spot and see if she can recite the story of the Bible for you, the warrior. Okay, so God created the world. It was good. Man sinned, which led to the fall. Creation was broken. 
in need of a hero. The hero is promised in Genesis 3.15, a coming hero who will fulfill the promise. The hero arrives who is Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Christ is what leads to our salvation by grace through faith. And one day he will restore creation to its original intent. Preach it, sister. Come on, somebody. That's the story of the Bible. That is the story of redemption. And that is the plan of God for all of time to redeem all things unto himself. So where we have been and and what we have been going through is uh, we have been zooming in on different aspects of the story of the Bible. So we started by zooming in on creation and we handled some of the essentials of creation, some of the things that we think are true about God from creation, some of the things that we think all Christians need to affirm from creation. And and those things are simply uh, the Trinity, the Imago Dei, and God's design for human flourishing. Then we zoomed in on some of the most the more controversial aspects of creation to hopefully our attempt in that was to paint a picture of the grandeur of God, of the glory of God, that regardless of the means, the Father, Son, and Spirit were active in creation. They initiated creation. And even though it's complex and mysterious for us, it's not to God. And that speaks to his goodness and his grandeur. Then last week, we focused in on the fall. And we talked about the fracturing of the cosmos, really, of of all things, the depth and width and extent of the fall and how bad things are are right now because of Adam and Eve's disobedience to God. Today, we talk about the hope that we have. And so let me back up maybe just a just a little bit in Genesis chapter 3. We mentioned this last week, but I want to double tap this this week. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the writer of, of Genesis picks up in, in verse 8 and says that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. First quick pause and just consider the beauty of this moment that God literally walked among mankind, that his presence was so tangible among them, that he revealed himself to his children in such a powerful way that they could in some sense hear his footsteps. How beautiful is that and and how glorious is that of our future, that we know that one day we will walk with God again, that we will dwell with him in such a tangible, real way that his presence might be so available to us and so near to us. And that's a beautiful aspect in and of itself. But then God continues and and he speaks with Adam and Eve and says, what did you do? What went wrong? Where are you? What have you done? So this happens, this kind of confrontation narrative. And in verse 13, God asked the woman, what is this you have done? After Adam and Eve ate the fruit and disobeyed God, the woman said, the serpent had deceived me and I ate. And I know we mentioned this last week, but I want to, I want to reiterate it that God here would be right and just to immediately judge Adam and Eve. Instead, God defends his children, and particularly God defends his daughter. God defends Eve, and he doesn't immediately condemn her. He doesn't immediately judge her. He immediately curses the serpent because he's defending his daughter. God is just. He's right. He's gracious. He's kind. Even in the midst of the most difficult, sobering, terrible narrative in Scripture, perhaps, I mean, right up there with the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, God proves himself to be just and gracious and merciful and compassionate. And then in verse 15, God proves all the more gracious and compassionate and kind as he promises a hero to one day come from the line of Adam and Eve to defeat the head of the serpent forever. So in this verse, um, Genesis 3:15, what are we to make of this crush your head, strike his heel? It's interesting language that we see here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one, of, one of the more comical ways I've heard this described is, uh, is in a fight, okay? So in any fight, there's always disagreement and debate about who won, 
right? If you think of, of any famous boxing match that went to a decision, any famous mixed martial arts match that went to a decision that wasn't that didn't have a clear-cut winner by knockout or TKO or submission, there's always debate. Mm-hmm. There's always judgment about who won, who lost, what really happened. In any playground fight, there's always some kids saying, did you see that? I won, right? I won that right. fight. You know me. I won that fight. Here, there's no question. If someone crushes your head and yet your heel is struck in the process, there's no question about who won that fight. There's no question about who wins this cosmic battle. So what we see here in 315 is, is again, the proclamation of the gospel. One day a hero will come from the line of Adam and Eve. That's Jesus Christ. This is the prophecy of the gospel that Jesus Christ will come. He will defeat Satan forever. He will do so through the cross. That Jesus Christ will be bruised on the cross and though he will die, Because he is God, because he is the son of God, he is divine, he will rise from the grave. He will defeat death, and in so doing, he will defeat evil, he will defeat Satan, and he will prove to defeat them in finality completely when he returns to consummate his kingdom and establish the new heavens and the new earth here. So what we see in in this verse is, is a cosmic battle, the proclamation of a cosmic battle, but more important than that, the proclamation of a certain victory, that the Lord Jesus Christ who will be this offspring, who will be this hero that will come from the line of Adam and Eve, will defeat evil and Satan forever in a decisive victory. Though he will be bruised in the process through the cross, he will rise victorious, and he will prove ultimately victorious when he returns to establish his kingdom here on earth. Amen. What a, what a promise to hope in. So the Old Testament is uh, the half of the Bible that often gets neglected. Um, because it's kind of hard to understand. But when we apply Genesis 3.15 to the Old Testament, um, it really changes how we can know God better through the Old Testament. Yes. And and we tried to make this point earlier in this, in this series that so often when we hear the word gospel, when we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, we only think New Testament, right? We right. only think death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet we looked at Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus himself is preaching the good news of the kingdom. He's preaching the gospel. And what he's saying is, hey, remember that promise in Genesis 3.15? Here I am, gentlemen. (laughs) The hero has arrived. The Messiah has arrived. And so you see that this verse is crucial for understanding the entire Old Testament. So let me give you maybe just a few examples of that scripturally, and then we'll wrap this up and hope that you are encouraged by the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So in Jesus's ministry, he gives us a framework for understanding scripture. So in Luke chapter 24, the Lord Jesus himself gives us a framework for understanding scripture. So let me paint the context quickly here and hopefully try to quickly make this point. This is probably my second favorite passage. If Genesis 3.15 is my favorite, this is my second favorite. So I'm going to try to be brief here. The context of this is after the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus has already died on the cross, buried in the tomb, and rose from the grave. And people are bugging out about this straight up. They are bugging because the tomb is empty. And uh, maybe just a side note, historically, the people saw an empty tomb. You got to do something with that. The disciples, one of the prevailing secular views trying to wrestle with this reality, this objective reality that the grave was empty, is that the disciples hid Jesus's body or they they took it from the grave and they hid it somewhere else. The only problem with that view is that the disciples all suffered terrible deaths on account of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if the disciples hid the Lord's body and created this ruse, hey, he really did rise from the grave just like he said he was going to do. If you're about to be beheaded, if you're about to be thrown into a pot of boiling water, as the Apostle John was, crucified if you're about to be down. crucified upside down, as the Apostle Peter was, I think at that point I'd say, 
it's just a prank. It's just a prank. Like, leave me. I, I'm cool. We, I don't have to die. We're cool here. Yet every single one of the disciples died terribly as martyrs. That adds validity to... That has some serious credibility. So you got to do something with the empty grave. Side note, rant over. Everyone's bugging out about this empty grave. And um, Jesus appears to these two men who are walking on this road to a village called Emmaus. And so these two guys are talking and they're talking about the things that are going on. Hey, do you hear about this empty grave? Do you hear about this dude, Jesus? Apparently he died and he said he was the son of God. And now the grave's empty. What do we do? And Jesus appears to them and he sees that they're arguing. And he says, uh, what is this dispute that you're having with each other? In Luke 24, verse 17. So they stopped walking and looked discouraged. And this is so funny to me. One of them says to Jesus, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? This guy who's walking on the road says to Jesus, because he clearly doesn't know that he's talking to Jesus, bro, where have you been? Have you been living under a rock? Are you the only dude that hasn't been scrolling Instagram, that hasn't been looking on your Twitter feed and know that like something massive has happened here? And Jesus baits him in verse 19 and says, what things? What has happened? And the, the man responds, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. So they tell the story of what happened. But we were hoping that he was the one that was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at his tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as they said, and they did not see him. And at this point, Jesus gives uh, the best Bible reading lesson ever. So stay with me here. Jesus says, how, he kind of snaps at them a little bit and says, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now here's the key verse, verse 27, that we're going to come back to. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. The Old Testament. Exactly. And let me give you just one more verse of proof. We look down at verse 44 of the same chapter. Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus then appears to his disciples and says this to them. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So here's what you need to understand is that the Old Testament in Hebrew, the same Old Testament that, that we use today, and the Old Testament that, that Jewish people still read today. The Jewish Old Testament is the same content as ours, but it's arranged differently. It's arranged in three sections. The law, the prophets, and the writings. So what Jesus says here in Luke 24, 44, that everything written about me in the law, the prophets, and the writings. The Psalms are synonymous with the writings. So Jesus says that the entire Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, the writings must be fulfilled because it's written about me. So Jesus says that all of scripture, all of the Old Testament is about him. And that's why we see him earlier in that chapter in verse 27 of Luke 24 say, beginning with Moses, which is synonymous with the first five books, the law, the law of Moses, because we believe that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So beginning with the first five books of the Bible and then with all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself. The gospel. The gospel that, that from the beginning, God's plan was to redeem the world through Jesus Christ. 
That goes back to Genesis 3.15. It goes back to Genesis 3.15 that the good news has echoes throughout scripture, but is rooted in Genesis. That through his death and resurrection, the God that made the world has redeemed the world through the cross of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and is in the process of redeeming the world so that one day our Savior, our Messiah, our hero, Jesus Christ, will redeem the entire world and all mankind from the corruption that we currently experience as he makes the new heavens and the new earth that he's promised. And that makes zero sense if we don't understand the promise of hope that we see in Genesis chapter 3. And and this theme carries throughout the entire Old Testament. So we see this promise of a hero. What's fascinating to consider is that um, Adam and Eve received this promise from God that one of their children would rise up as the hero, as the Messiah. They didn't know which one it was going to be. Yeah. They thought it might have been their next child, their next boy. When Eve becomes pregnant with her first child, she might have been under the impression that it was just that easy. Um, Because in Genesis 4, verse 1, she says, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Yeah, a man, a hero, the one who, who might defeat the serpent forever. There is this expectation that we will see throughout the Old Testament that with each hero that arises, perhaps this is the one. If you're able, if you're not driving, if you're not crushing a workout right now, listen to this podcast. Check out Genesis chapter 9. I'm going to just rifle through a few of these quick verses here as we look at Noah. So this is God's covenant with Noah. So after Adam and Eve, they have they have several children. And as we know from the fall, things get bad. None of the children happen to be the one. None of the children happen to be the one. The hero doesn't arrive. And in fact, the world is filled with wickedness. And so God sends a flood. And he, in some sense, takes Noah as the new Adam. And we see some covenantal language here that should be familiar to you if you're familiar with Genesis chapter 1. But I'm reading from Genesis chapter 9, where God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, see if this is familiar, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So God takes Noah as the new Adam to begin almost a new creation after the flood, to be fruitful and multiply, to take his place and to reign and rule over mankind as as an image bearer of God. And we see in verse 6 that God made humans in his image, a reiteration of the Imago Dei. And what's fascinating is this connection between Noah and Adam is that Adam ate the fruit and failed, right? Adam was the, the image bearer of God. He was given charge to watch over the garden, to care for it, seen as 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 almost a hero in God's story, as, as the first man created, and yet he fails. And even in that failure, we see this longing for a true hero, longing for a better hero because Adam failed. So then we see in Genesis... Noah arrives. Exactly. We see in Genesis 9, Noah arrives. It's this similar language, be fruitful and multiply. You are now the image bearer because humans are made in God's image. You are to rule and reign over a difficult creation now because of the fall. Uh, And just as Adam ate the fruit and failed, Noah, in verse 20, as a man of the soil, began by planting a vineyard. He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself inside his tent. Noah, like Adam, takes fruit and fails disobeys God. And so there's this picture of of God entrusting mankind to be his image bearers to creation, to reign and rule over creation as he reigns and rules over the cosmos. And yet human beings constantly fail. And so here we see this pattern emerging in the first couple chapters of Genesis of, of this broken anticipation that if only a hero could come on our behalf, if only a hero could come and fulfill the promises of God, fulfill the covenant of God to, to defeat Satan and evil forever. And we'll see this play out throughout the Old Testament. We'll see every time a hero rises up, the people have this Genesis 3.15 promise in the back of their minds. They think maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the hero with Abraham, with Moses, with 
David, we see with Solomon, we see this anticipation play up as if the promises and covenant of God might be fulfilled. And yet each one of those heroes fails. They fail miserably. They fail miserably because all human beings will fail. Human beings have a terribly difficult time fulfilling the promises of God. And the Old Testament closes with this broken anticipation, longing for a hero, longing for one to come who will make all things right. But none of that makes sense if we miss the truth and the promise that we see proclaimed and prophesied in in Genesis chapter 3, that even in the midst of tribulation, even in the midst of, of a brutal failure, the fall of mankind, the introduction of sin into the cosmos, which fractures everything. Even here, we see the grace and the goodness of God to promise a hero who will one day make all things right. Thank you for listening to us. If you want to trust in Christ, or if you want to learn more about making him the authority over your life, or if you want to learn more about us, send us a message on our Instagram at WGMHQ. That's WGMHQ. We will make sure that someone gets in touch with you. This has been Warrior Podcast with Connor Shanahan. Warrior God Ministries' mission is to change the world by making disciples among military members and first responders and equipping them to be disciple makers and missionaries in their respective communities for the glory of Jesus Christ.